Amen. Well, welcome to Red Rocks Church. For everybody just tuning in, let me just give you the flyby of the past few weeks. We are in week three of a four-week journey through the beginning of Genesis that we are calling Fruit Trees and Fig Leaves. Now, at Red Rocks Church, we take the Bible very seriously as the inspired word of God, which means we read it the way it wants to be read and deserves to be read. The beginning of Genesis is not a science textbook, and to read it that way is to do it a disservice. It is something much bigger and something much better. It is a story that answers life's biggest questions. In week one, we ask this question, do you see what could be? And then week two, we ask this question, how can we make harmony? And today we are gonna ask this question, why was there a fruit tree? Why on earth was there a fruit tree? I mean, you've probably asked yourself that question. It's a good question to ask. Like, like God, I mean, come on. If you knew, you got the foreknowledge. If you knew that Adam and Eve were gonna disobey and eat the apple, I think it was an apple, whatever it was, but you knew that they were gonna eat it and make the biggest mistake of all of our lives and shatter the entire universe and fracture it with sin and ruin everything. Like why even put a fruit tree in the garden in the first place, right? Like that's a big risk. That's a risky little game, right? If you know, you know, that was a friend's quote. Why was there a fruit tree? Like, were you, were you booby trapping them? Were you trying to trick them? Like, were there games being played? Why was there a fruit tree? Well, read with me 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then, I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. Like staring at the mysteries and complexities of the God of the entire universe through a dim mirror. We will do our best today to answer that question. But just know, while today we only know in part, God's promise to you is that one day you will know in full why there was a fruit tree. And so God, help us to see what you see Jesus, help us to see with more than just our eyes. Even help us to see past and beyond our logic. Thank you for the invitation to wrestle with you and ask difficult questions like this. I pray, God, that you would lead us to truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. Have you ever noticed that every movie is the same movie. Have you noticed this? Like, I'm not bashing it. You're looking at the biggest movie buff you will ever see. But every movie is one of three stories. It's either a story of sacrifice, it's a story of unbreakable love, or it's a story of good triumphing over evil. And the reason is because these are the stories that our hearts were made for. Let me explain. There's a reason, church, at the end of Harry Potter that you get so fired up as Harry willingly walks into the forest to lay down his life for his friends. And there's a reason, although you never admit it, that you secretly imagine yourself as Harry in that moment. There's a reason your heart beats faster for stories about sacrifice. And it's because you have a God who left everything to sacrifice himself for you and he made you in his image. 
Or how about this? How about stories of unbreakable love? Don't argue with me on this. Every rom-com, that's short for romantic comedy, is the exact same movie every time. But we want it that way, right? Give me the same story. It starts with a meet-cute. Oh, there's magic in the air. They're perfect for each other. It's so romantic. Oh, but there's a secret. And even though he's a good guy, he can't tell her. And you're like, oh, just tell her, bro. Come on. And like, right on, like on the very day he's about to, the secret comes out in another way at the most inopportune time. And you're like, no, it's a misunderstanding. He's a good guy, right? And just when you think surely all is lost, he hops on his motorcycle and chases down her taxi on the Brooklyn Bridge. And sure enough, love proves once again to be unbreakable. To quote one of my favorite movies, so it's not going to be easy, it's going to be really hard, and we're going to have to work at this every day, but I want to do that because I want you. I want all of you, forever, you and me, every day. See, love is unbreakable. I wrote you 365 letters. I wrote you every day for a year. You wrote me? Yes. It wasn't over. It still isn't over. Bam, epic kiss on a dock by a lake because nothing is going to stop a love that unbreakable, not even pouring rain. Not that I've seen the movie. You love movies like that. You love stories of unbreakable love, and there's a reason. It's because your heart was designed to be loved by a God whose love never fails. Or how about stories of good triumphing over evil? Once again, there's a reason you get so fired up watching Gladiator when Maximus stabs the emperor. That's not dark. That is good triumphing over evil, right? Are you not entertained? And you're like, oh, this is so, so good, right? There's a reason you cheer when the Patriots lose. There is a very real evil, and in the end, good will always conquer it. Have you ever wondered, church, why these stories seem to strike a chord so deep in our souls. It's because they describe the God who made you in his image and the fact that right now you are sitting right smack in the middle of the greatest story of sacrifice, unbreakable love, and good conquering evil that the universe will ever know about. And it's not a movie, it's real. And the conflict of all of it began with a fruit tree. Genesis 2, starting in verse 8. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and trees that were good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the author of Genesis wants us to see this garden as a sort of temple where the spirit of God dwells, right? And in the middle of the garden, there's a hill. Picture this. And on top of the hill, there is the tree of life. This is the good tree. This is the true tree. And God's presence is strongest in this space, a sort of holy of holies, if you will. The tree of life represents eternal life, and God invites and encourages Adam and Eve to come eat from this tree so they can live forever with him. That's the tree of life. At the bottom of this hill, on the way to that tree, there's another tree, just as beautiful, 
the false tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip to 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the entire garden, just not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And it's indicative of the, the goodness and abundance of your God that he gives permission before he gives restriction. Do you understand that? It's indicative of the goodness and abundance of your dad that he gives permission before he gives restriction. I mean, how many other trees were there, church? Hundreds? Thousands? Hundreds of thousands? Thousands of hundreds? Like, like he doesn't, this is not difficult. This is a sweet, sweet gig. God does not set them up for failure and then sit back waiting for them to mess up so he can punish them and rub it in their faces. Like, no, he, he stacks the deck in their favor. He tips the scales in their direction. He is for their success. He wants them to thrive. But you know the story. The serpent tempts Eve and asks her a very eerily sneaky, familiar question. Did God really say I mean, really though, does he really have your back, your best interest at heart? I'm not saying that's not, I'm just saying I'd hate for you to miss out because this is an opportunity of a lifetime. Did God really say, Genesis 3, 6, and 7, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who, by the way, was with her the entire time and also ate it. So we like to blame a lot of this on Eve, but where was Adam? Adam was right next to her the entire time. I'm like, what is that guy doing? Is Adam bird watching? Like, is, the, is he the original birder? Adam, I'm like, bro, like while your wife is being attacked, uh, that's another sermon for another day. But Adam was there the whole time, and I realized this this week. And I laugh, I, I kind of laugh about it now, but I bet you've always thought what I thought up until this week, that the apple had magical sin power, right? The more I read this story, I think it was just a pretty tree with fruit that was pleasing to the eye. I think the power was not in a magical tree. The power was in the decision to choose something else over God. There is power in your decisions. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And I'll save this cliffhanger for next week. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So really quick, let's talk philosophy I'm looking at you guys, you're philosophers, you're up for it. So in philosophy, there are four absolutes, four points of reference, if you will. Good, evil, forgiveness, and justice. So in this moment, at this tree, two of those absolutes are present. Which ones? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thousands of years after this, for the only time in history... At another tree, 
on top of another hill called Calvary, and the tree was the cross of Jesus Christ, all four of these absolutes would rendezvous, collide, and be satisfied in their fullness in one moment, that through justice would come forgiveness, and once and for all, good would conquer evil through God sacrificing himself, proving once and for all that his love for you is unbreakable. And every movie and every book and every story that's ever been written or told is a beautiful expression or shadow of God's story. And what you believe about this story and this specific event is the most important thing about you. So let me throw out some questions, not to toss a grenade and then walk away. But can good really be good without the backdrop of evil? Can the human being really worship a savior without first being saved from something? Can the human heart really know grace without first experiencing shame? Honestly, I don't know. I know in part, one day, church, we will know in full. But for now, like staring at the mystery and complexity of the God who made everything through a dim mirror, let's answer the question, why was there a fruit tree? I have three answers for you. Here we go. Number one, to show from the very beginning that obedience leads to joy. So first things first, in Christianity, we do not obey to be accepted. We're already accepted, therefore we obey. And that order is important. That order is everything because if you get the order wrong, you no longer have Christianity. You miss the heart of God. Now you have religion. And unfortunately, Christians have been getting that order wrong for centuries which unfortunately has led to so many churches making kind of a hierarchy of sin and putting specific sins up on a pedestal saying those are somehow worse than others, which is why like I've had Christians come and ask me this question. If I smoke, am I going to hell? What's the answer? No. Smoking, like you can smoke your entire life and still go to heaven. Smoking is not what makes you go to hell. Why? Because not smoking is not how you get into heaven. Sex before marriage, another pedestal sin, does not make you go to hell because keeping yourself pure is not how you get into heaven. Fill in the blank with anything, abortion, crime, murder, lying, cheating, addiction. These are not things that make you go to hell because not doing them is not how you get to heaven. It all always comes down to one question, Jesus or no Jesus, period. That's it. End of story. Either you know Jesus or you don't. You know Jesus or you don't. That's it. That's why the church, by the way, should always be messy and full of all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds and baggage and different struggles. And that's why heaven one day is going to be full of only sinners saved by grace. 
and liars and cheaters, smokers, drinkers, addicts, adulterers, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, including me and including you. We don't get this stuff out of our lives so we can be accepted. We simply realize we're accepted by the creator of everything. And from that new position, we obey. So now that we have the order correct, obedience comes down to this question. How much joy do you want right now? Obedience with God is not for the sake of obedience. Obedient, like with God, it wasn't, hey, stay away from that tree because I said so. Obedience with God is for the sake of joy. I mean, there were thousands of other trees, including the tree of life, up on a hilltop beckoning Adam and Eve to come taste and see that the Lord is good. And in the book of Proverbs, the tree of life up on that hill is paralleled to wisdom. I want to show you this, Proverbs 1, 20 and 21. Out in the open, picture that tree up on the hill. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. Fast forward nine verses. But since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Me, Ryan, and Ethan got saved in college around the same time. And about a year into that journey, the ministry that we were at in college, we were kind of stepping up as leaders. However, nothing about a lot of our lives was changing. And I'm specifically talking about the sex and partying domain. And then one afternoon, we all got meetings, uh, but, but our pastor, Bill Stevens, he is a huge reason why we are in ministry today. But I remember he called me into his office and he said, hey, he's like, you're the one who wants to be a leader in this ministry. And you have an opportunity to be a role model and you are punting on that opportunity. And called me out, and I was so mad. I remember walking out of that office, and my first thought was, attention, in that office, we have a legalist. Legalism. God, we've got legalism down here. <laughs> Meanwhile, God's going, uh, try wisdom. That's actually a better word than legalism. Try leadership. Try wisdom. Check this out. Obedience is wisdom put into practice. And its sole purpose is increasing your quality of life and the people around you and increasing your joy. Like, that's it. Maybe you grew up in a church or in a family where somebody told you, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. As if happiness and holiness are disconnected. As if Jesus' favorite song is, if you're happy and you know it, repent. <laughs> Obey. Maybe that's why you hate church and are under the impression that God just wants to take from you. Maybe that's why you think, I can either be a Christian or happy. Oh, it's tragic. God is more about your joy than even you. Joy is the point of obedience, but sin is deceptive. That's why the serpent asked Eve, did God really say does he really have your best interest? Because, man, I just, I'd hate for you to miss out. 
man, you, I know what he said, but you got to do you. You got to be true to you. God knows your heart. Second Peter, verse, chapter two, verse one, horrifies me. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. And what I want to point out about that is not destructive or heresies or false teacher. I want you to look at that word secretly. Because we think false teachers and we think big name pastors on stage preaching to make money or purposefully lead people astray. And while that's probably, that, that, that probably exists, I think the biggest source of false teachers, follow me, are well-meaning Christian friends who give bad advice based on feelings and stamp God's name on it. Oh, God knows your heart. Do it. Oh, it's 2020. Come on. Like, you got to do you. You got to be true. To, uh, God's, God's telling me, right? Like, how quick are we to play the God card? God said, hey, if, if you start a sentence with God said, I really hope God said that. And I'm not saying he's not speaking to you or through you. He does that all the time. It's called prophecy. It's a gift. It's beautiful. I'm speaking of a different, very broad category called well-meaning, feeling-based, false teaching through bad advice because it's what your friends want to hear or because it's what you want to hear. And I'm saying it is healthy to check your motives and your quickness in how you give and receive permission and advice. I mean, God help us, a lot of us are our own false teachers. We convince ourselves, did God really say? And we make God in our image. And all of a sudden, our God that we worship agrees with everything that we do and everything that we think and gives a green light to everything that we believe and we think is okay. And before you know it, you're not actually worshiping God, you're worshiping you. Secretly, secretly, secretly. That's why if somebody tells you God wants you to be happy, be careful, just be careful, because absolutely, God is for your happiness and wants you to be happiness, happy. He just is a lot less worried about your temporary seasonal happiness, which is what you're probably concerned with. And he's a lot more concerned with your long-term, lifetime kind of happiness that comes through obedience. Sin will promise happiness every time. It will then take you further than you wanted to go, make you stay longer than you wanted to stay, and make you pay way more than you wanted to pay. And ironically, what you will pay most with is happiness. The tree always promises to give and always ends up taking. And every testimony I've ever heard is proof of that. Come back to wisdom. In the, in, the, in the square, calling, like beckoning people to come to the tree of life. I think of words and testimonies and heeding words of men and women who have learned life's lessons and been there, done that. Like you actually, you don't have to learn all the brutal lessons that life has to teach the hard way. 
Contrary to popular belief, not all rules are made to be broken. Not all limits are made to be tested. Like, I, I love the testimony, the testimonies of here's all the things I did wrong. Here's the hole I got myself into. Here was my rock bottom, and here's how Jesus, in his goodness and grace, pulled me out of it. I love that testimony. But I'm currently in the mood to hear a lot more testimonies of, man, here's how I was obedient, even when I didn't understand why. And here's the, the joy and the fullness of life that came because of it. I tried it the right way, and guess what? It does lead to joy. Like, I want my one-year-old to grow up watching those kinds of testimony videos also, right? Obedience always leads to joy. And that's why sometimes God blessing you will look like God giving to you. He is a generous, generous God with no shortage of blessings to lavish on his kids, even to the point of spoiling us. But it's also why sometimes God will bless you, and it looks like him taking something away or saying no. For instance, if my one-year-old is in the street playing and there's a car speeding towards him, like even if, God forbid, I hurt his wrist, I am snatching him out of the way. Tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not standing on the sidewalk saying, you do you, buddy. I just hope you're happy for these next few moments. God will break your fingers to get your hands off of the things that are slowly killing you. And he will call it blessing you. Why was there a fruit tree? Maybe, just maybe to show that the point of obedience is always, always joy. So what's one area in your life this week that you know you haven't submitted to God Maybe you disagree. Maybe you just don't understand why God would say that. Adam and Eve didn't fully understand. But God has nothing to gain from your begrudging submission. He only wants to give. And obedience always leads to joy. And number two, because your soul wants to hear the word no. I love this. This has been kicking me in the butt this week because your soul wants to hear the word no. And I want this to sink in. God is good and complete without you. God does not need you. God does not fear you. Therefore, God has nothing to gain from oppressing you. And if that's true, then the restrictions he gives you must be meant to liberate, not oppress. So my friend Scott, he has two teenage daughters, and when they were in high school, he would pick them up from school, and he would drive them and all of their friends home. And Scott had a rule in the car where he, catch this, he took all of their cell phones and put them in the glove box, and instead, he asked them fun conversations about their day. And I was talking to one of his daughters a couple years ago, and she said, all of my friends, they always roll their eyes like, Mr. Scott, you're so lame. Oh, my gosh, give me my phone back. But all of them secretly loved it, loved it, because their parents preferred they just scroll on Instagram and not have to talk. Like, there's a reason everybody wanted Scott to pick them up from school. Catch this. His phone restriction 
makes them feel loved, seen, and protected. When you trust the source, restrictions make your soul feel safe. Like I remember late nights driving home from Breckenridge after a day of snowboarding on I-70 through the Rocky Mountains. When the roads are icy, guardrails make you feel protected and directed. Like somebody's looking out for me. I'm a, I'm a yes man and I'm a yes dad. But I know there will be times I tell my son no for obvious reasons. And I know there will probably be more times I tell him no and the reason is not as cut and dry. But something in me knows it's good for him to hear it. Like kids need restrictions or else they become that kid and grow up to be that adult, right? Like even before humans were fallen, Adam and Eve before sin, restrictions taught them that I don't need everything. We always want what we can't have. I don't need this one tree when there's thousands of other ones, including the best one. Restrictions teach your soul, I don't need everything. Restrictions teach your soul that your personal happiness is not the world's or God's primary objective. And saying no to yourself when you could say yes in my opinion, is the ultimate sign of Christian and human maturity, especially when you don't understand why. Here's a Judah Smith quote. That's the challenge, self-imposed restraint. That is maturity in a nutshell. It's when you have the money, you have the desire, and you have the opportunity, and yet you still say, nope. Why was the tree in the garden? Because your soul wants to hear the word no sometimes. And it wants to hear it from you. Like you know there's this liberation and empowerment that comes over your soul when you say no to that purchase when you could buy it or no to that dessert when you could eat it, right? You know there's like this thriving freedom that comes over your soul when you say no to a temptation even though you know you could do it and God would still forgive you. God gives you direction and protection through restriction because he's good. And when the source is good, you can trust the guardrails. And if you need proof that God is good, keep going in the story and look at, look at the response to Adam and Eve's decision. When Adam and Eve eat the fruit, God clothes them and then he removes them from the garden. Genesis 3, 24 says this, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way back to the tree of life. Now that sounds like punishment at first. That sounds super intense at first, but that's actually grace. First of all, because God doesn't kill them, even though he said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. But second, because the tree of life is in the garden. And when you eat from the tree of life, you live forever. So God brought Adam and Eve out of the garden and guarded the way back to the tree of life because he knew if they eat from the tree of life, they'll live forever, but they'll live forever in a fallen state. And he says, no, not on my watch. We're going to finish this story my way. And the next time they get a chance to eat from the tree of life, a.k.a. my son, Jesus Christ, they will live forever, but not fallen, but rather redeemed. 
He is good. Why was there a fruit tree? Because your soul loves, craves to hear the word known. And finally, why was there a fruit tree? Because love is only love when it's a decision. You got to follow me here, okay? Love, okay, for love to exist, choice must also exist because love requires choice. Are you with me so far? Forced love is called abuse. God is not abusive. In order for you to love God, you also need the opportunity not to. In order for free will to be real, you not only need the ability to choose, you need options to choose from. Hence, the tree. Because in the end, it must be your decision. To quote C.S. Lewis, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will. Ravi Zacharias makes the point that in the beginning, God had four options. So if you're God and you're about to create your own universe, you got four options. Number one, don't make anything. Number two, make something but with no good and no evil. Number three, create a universe with good and evil, but humans are forced to choose good every time. Or number four, create the universe and give choice. And the fourth option is the only option where love is possible. And remember, he has tilted the scales in your direction almost entirely. The tree of life is not hard to get to. He wants you to pick him, but at the end of the day, you must be the one to do so. Because love is a decision. It has to be. The power of love is in the decision. So you remember the, the movie Aladdin? When Aladdin rubs the lamp and out comes the genie and he sings that, that song, you ain't never had a friend like me, I'm not gonna do it because it'll be really distracting and I really want you to get this point. The genie says three things to Aladdin. He says, wish for anything you want, but there's three things I can't do. I can't kill anybody and I can't bring anybody back from the dead. Really quick, why couldn't he do those things? Because it's a Disney movie. That's it. Like you think that guy couldn't kill somebody? He's a genie, okay? He couldn't do them because it's a Disney movie. But the third one, he actually can't do because it's impossible. I can't make somebody fall in love. Can't do that. Because love is not just a feeling of the heart. That's easy. Love is a decision of the will. Follow me right here. A magic genie can't bring love into the world any more than a magic apple can bring evil into the world. The power behind both of those things is in the decision. A world without choice would be a lot more ordered with a lot less evil. But it would be, by definition, loveless. It would. By definition. Why was there a fruit tree? Because in order for there to be love, there has to be a decision in 
And so I'll finish here because here's where I got hung up all week. And really, any time in my life I've asked this question, I'll kind of say these answers and it'll do my soul some good, but I'll always come back to this and I'll say, yeah, but God, it's like, it's such a big risk, man. Like it is so risky. Free will is so risky. I mean, look at our world, look at our nation this week. Everything that's happened, everything that led up to it because of free will. I look at it and I'm like, God, the cost is hellishly high. Like that's just too big of a risk, guys. There's a lot of things God does. I don't know if I would do a lot of the things God does. Can we be honest? I probably wouldn't put that tree in the garden. I would never think to do that. But I would also never give my son for you. Not on your best day, not on his worst day. For whatever reason, this God who sees what you don't, who knows the end from the beginning, whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours. For this God, love is worth the risk. Eternal good is worth temporary pain and you are worth his suffering and pain. Right now we see in part, but one day we will see that in full. The mysteries and complexities of God and my real hope is maybe this week, what will happen to you, what, what will happen to you will be what happened to me this week. Mysteries have a way of getting us to pursue him and wrestle with him because we want answers, right? My one-year-old Will, he loves to wrestle. So we wrestle all the time. And here's the deal, guys, like I got him. <laughs> I can take him, man. Like he doesn't stand a chance and he knows it. But we wrestle and then once he gets exhausted, my favorite part happens where I lay on the floor and Will lays on top of my chest, just completely exhausted, knowing he can't win, but he doesn't feel fear, he feels trust. He feels known, he feels directed, he feels protected because he knows his dad's good. The goal of wrestling with God about big questions like this is actually not, first and foremost, answers. The goal is proximity with God. I'm convinced that's why God tends to whisper. I mean, how many know God has an outdoor voice and he knows how to use it, but God tends to whisper because when somebody whispers, you have to lean in and your proximity and closeness with him is actually what will transform you and change you. Not knowing some secrets about a tree. That's how God tends to save people before he answers their questions. Even though just a week ago, they swore they would never believe in him unless their questions got answered. All of a sudden they were close to him. They had proximity and game over. And so I hope big questions like this will lead you to wrestle with God because to wrestle by definition, you need to be close and you need proximity. And that is what you're really after. And you will see in part, but one day you will see in full. So why was there a fruit tree? 
to show us from the very beginning that obedience always, always, always leads to joy. To show us that your soul is actually craving for you to say no and feels protection when there's restriction. And because in order for love to exist, there needs to be a decision in the process. Right now, in this room, at home, wherever you are, you are sitting in the middle of the greatest, most epic story of sacrifice, of unbreakable love, and good triumphing over evil that the universe will ever know about. And it's not a movie, it's real. And this God who's writing it invites you into it and wants you close. So I pray for you this week, you would experience proximity. I pray for you this week, that proximity would show you even more, not, not brain knowledge, but in your heart, you would know in your knower all the more that my God, my God, my dad is good. He is good. So even though I can only get 90% of the way there with my biggest answers in doubts, it's all I need. One day I'll know in full, amen.